Hello and welcome to the Mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and after a month, I am back with new episodes. And I know I haven't streamed either. There is a reason for that. So, I, I checked I checked before. It has been an actual month. It has been four weeks. The, the last episode I did is dated June 8th. As I am recording this, it is now July 6th. So it has been literally exactly four weeks since my last episode came out. Because the second week of the second full week of June, the 13th, the 12th through the 18th, I ended up getting a really nasty stomach bug that uh, completely put me on my ass for about three days. Then the following week, I got COVID. Yeah, I know. Getting COVID in 2022 after being vaccinated, pretty cringe. I get it. But it happened. And I was on my ass for a good 10 days before I started to recover. And I was still coughing like crazy the entire time. I may miss a few in the edit and you will hear them. So yeah, um, that's why I've been totally incommunicado for the past month because I have been uh, not feeling great. So now here we are and I missed out on so much stuff. I missed the end of the NBA finals. I missed the end of the Stanley Cup finals. I miss talking about Summer Games Fest on the show, at least the Xbox presentation, which I thought was pretty good. If you want my reactions to it, the video is uh, my most recent video on my YouTube channel. It's an archive live stream, but it's just in my video feed, so you don't have to go digging for it. Like, it's it's in my... Like, it, it's in my videos. It's not just in my live stream VODs playlist. Like, it is my most recent video. So, go check that out. But we have other things to uh, to discuss because last time I was going to record an episode, there was no CDL happening. Now the major is next week. And champs is not long after that because champs is uh, champs is what? Two weeks? Because the major is next weekend. Majors next Thursday through next Sunday. And then champs is literally three weeks later. So it's the same gap from end of major to beginning of qualifiers. So yeah, champs is uh champs is August 4th. I can't believe it's already July. Like this is some crap. This year has gone by way too quick. After 2020 felt like it lasted forever, 2021 felt reasonable-ish, and 2022 was just flown by. Like, it feels like it was just January a couple of weeks ago. And now, and now July 4th has come and gone. I hope everyone had a good 4th of July, by the way. And, uh, yeah, it's now July. And... Two of the three traditional sports I talk about this show are currently not playing 
And one of the esports I talk about on this show is about to end in about a month. So, uh, yeah. But let's, uh, <coughs> but let's get into this. Nothing in the major three qualifiers so far has made a lick of freaking sense. Like subliners are suddenly good. Like that came absolutely out of nowhere. They have won every they're They're still undefeated. I'm pretty sure London is too. Yeah. So is London. And New York hasn't beat beaten like slouches either. Like they've, they beat Florida. That's not a huge deal. They beat LAG who are wildly inconsistent lately. Uh, they, they've actually been absolutely terrible since the end of major two, but they got a win over phase. London hasn't really beaten anyone all that impressive, but New York has beaten optic. Like LA, LAG beat phase and they didn't like, and it wasn't some fluky win either. They won three, one. And then a day later they went and got, got their shit stomped in by Boston. Like the Sunday games, the Sunday games made no freaking sense. Like other than thieves, let's be honest here. Shit stomping Paris. Nothing on Sunday made sense. Nothing on Saturday made sense either. Like with the context of, of Saturday's results, not making any freaking sense. Sunday's results made even less sense. Cause like, how the hell do you beat phase three, one, and then the next series played in the entire CDL you lose to Boston three to one. And if I recall, let me check the map scores. Yeah, it was relatively convincing. It was uh, like they, they, they timed him out on Bocage that, cause that just happens. Um, dominated tested control and dominated Berlin Hardpoint even more. Because this is what? This is a. That's only a 16 point win on Bocage. On Berlin Hardpoint, they won by 104. So, um. Yeah, uh, Berlin Hardpoint is such a weird map because it's so freaking big. Like, it is a gigantic map. But nothing, nothing in the major three qualifiers has made a lick of freaking sense. Like, and despite some of their other wins, like 3-0ing Toronto, beating, beating LA Thieves in five because LA Thieves can't win search. They, they really can't. LA Thieves can't win search to save their freaking lives. Yeah, you can't. You can't lose search to phase and uh, expect to win a series. But 
phase does not concern me. Like, that's the thing. They have proven that even though they make the finals, they are choke artists on LAN. Because, like, CDL crowds are weird. They are a fickle bunch. But they usually, like, they're, they're definitively the villains. It's, it's a trick wrestling promotions use all the time. You have, you have the bad guy win the championship and not defend it all that often because, you know, he's a chicken shit. But you keep him championed for an extended amount of time because people want to see him lose. And you don't have him defend to the title all that often, so his cheating doesn't get doesn't overstay its welcome. And you have him win clean occasionally against like people they're considerably better than, but FaZe are the FaZe are like the that's what FaZe are. They're the old school wrestling heel where they would never win championships. They would get really close and it would scare people. And people would pay to still see these guys come so close and still lose. But that's that's what FaZe are now. Like, and it's very clear that in Vanguard, they can't just like brute force their way through teams like they did in Cold War. Like that was very much their MO in Cold War. Is just kind of muscle their way through through games. And I know it's weird to describe it as muscling in a video game, but that's a hundred percent what they did. They would just, they would just kind of power through it and it worked really well. And guess what? They still only won the online majors and champs and champs last year kind of sucked because it was in California. And California was still on their stupid bullshit last August. Their stupid California bullshit. Like, yeah, I've, I, yeah, that, that's how you know. That's how you know. I just spent the last two weeks hacking my lungs out with COVID. And I still thought California was being ridiculous last summer. Because they were. But I'm not going to get into any of that. I've. I, I've made my stance abundantly clear on this show. But with it with it being a with it being a Galen Center again and it being a real crowd that don't have to deal with California's bullshit for an entire weekend, they're actually gonna be able to one, there's a lot more parody in the CDL this year. Like, yes, I'm talking about champs because like champs is coming and optic and phase have already locked in their spots. This is, and this is, this is just proof that uh, finishing second will still do wonders. If you can do it at every event and just rack up all the online wins. Phase has not won a single major they're still 45 points ahead of Optic in the standings. Optic's actually won a major. 
They have 235 standings points. Face has 280. It's a difference of 45, which is essentially what? That's that's essentially a second place finish at the major. That that's either four and a half wins or a second place finish at the uh, at the major because the second place finish is worth fifty. Then right behind them, Seattle Surge. Like right now, I don't think Gorillas are going to do all that well at the major. And one of these bottom four teams could do better than them. It's not going to be Paris because, you know, the whole two and 20 thing is basically guaranteed to keep you out of chance. So, yeah, that's like Paris is already out. No one else has been mathematically eliminated yet. And if NYSL keep winning, because like I said, they're undefeated in qualifiers. And they're only matched this weekend as LA Thieves. So God only knows how that's going to go, because, you know, Thieves have been kind of wildly inconsistent all season long. And it's been really freaking annoying. But I would basically say the top four is not locked, but the top four are guaranteed to be in. Like Seattle and London might not be three and four, but they're guaranteed to be at champs. I would honestly say Boston and Toronto are probably safe too. Thieves have to make a good run at the major. But at the same time, they also have gorillas kind of playing gatekeeper for them. So, you know, before the last round of qualifiers and before the fourth major, I think... Right now, the major the teams that make the major in no particular order are going to be Phase Optic, uh, Seattle, London, Boston, Toronto, LA Thieves, and I think Minnesota can get in. Again, they've been just like Thieves, they've been wildly inconsistent all season long. And have continued that trend in the major three qualifiers. But I think, I think they will do just enough at the major to uh, overtake LAG. Not necessarily through their own quality as a team, more from LAG not being good because they're really not like sure. They just beat phase less than a week ago. But they turned around less than 24 hours later and lost to Boston. So um, I'm I'm willing to call that a fluke where FaZe got a little too cocky. And and took their foot off the gas a little bit because they're locked into champs. They're they're locked into a good seat at the major. Like actually they're not. They're locked into a five seed. But they're going to get 
They will. Oh, they're playing London. They will get at least one more win this weekend. Yeah, they're playing London and Seattle. They will probably get. They will probably get at least one more win this weekend. Quite possibly against Seattle. And. Man, poor Paris. I I legitimately feel I legitimately feel bad for Paris Legion. The players and whatever fan base they've managed to cultivate. I don't feel bad for the organization because they refuse to spend money. Like the flank, the flank tweeted this one out straight from Kismet's mouth in uh, what I'm assuming is their chat. Paris had the chance to get our whole Texas nation roster and decided against it. Drew doesn't spend money. And he later clarified we said we'd play for league minimum after major one. Uh, he responded to someone in chat, uh, LMFAO bro. They forced me in Cali year one to pay six K pay a six K rent and said no to Texas. And after they told me I was going to have to play and live in France, screw that. Um, that org is whack. I told drew he was dumb and he dropped me on my head after telling me that. Uh, and he said, watch us succeed. LMFAO fucking joke of a guy. That is that is Kismet's chat log from the Flank live stream. And yeah, I I believe every word of that. Because if you Google Paris Legion, they don't even have a website. Their parent company doesn't have a Wikipedia page or a Liquidpedia page. Like, let's just... Let's just Google one of the smallest orgs I can think of. Kansas City Pioneers, who we who we will talk about. Who we will talk about soon enough. Let's see. First result is their website. Second result is their Twitter page. Third is their LinkedIn. Oh look. Fourth is the Cadiz, the Kansas City Pioneers Call of Duty Esports Wiki. Because I believe they are a uh, they're a challengers team. Okay. Oh nope they uh, they disbanded in uh, in September, but they they were a challengers team. But they were that's weird that that's weird that they're disbanded COD team comes up uh comes up higher than their admittedly Australian Rocket League team. But I googled Pioneers, everything took me direct to t- to pages directly relating to the team. If you google Paris Legion, the first result is their team page on the Call of Duty League website. Followed by the Cod Esports Wiki, their Twitter, uh, a Google Maps, a Google Maps result page for an American Legion post in northern New Jersey. Uh, a Royal Canadian Legion branch in Paris, Ontario. And another, another American Legion in Maine. Yeah. And then their Wikipedia page, 
than their Liquipedia page. Then their Instagram, then a couple news articles about them either being forced out of the league and replaced by someone else and relocating to La- and and a different news article about them in Paris Eternal, the Overwatch team, relocating to Las Vegas for next season. If they have the same owner and he still refuses to spend any freaking money, moving to Vegas isn't going to change a damn thing. And given their track record, they probably won't do anything to change their branding to more ingratiate themselves to Vegas. But hey, if they suck, we'll probably still get a Vegas major next year. Because the CDL is not going to pass up that opportunity. Like, there's no way COD League is going to pass up an opportunity to host an event in Vegas. Like, a non-champs event, which seems like they have some kind of deal with USC and the Galen Center. Like, you know they would they would do anything in their power to host an event in Vegas. Because think about it. Minnesota bombed out at their own event. Like... Why would it be any different for Paris to bomb out at, uh, at or Las Vegas? The, the Las Vegas Legion, because there's no way they're going to change that name, even though it doesn't fit Vegas at all. Why, why do we think the Las Vegas Legion wouldn't bomb out at their own event? Do they even have merch? Let's see. Do they even have merch? They do? But it's only it's only on the official COD League page. And it's like the bare minimum. Let's let's go over to a different team, a team that actually cares about their branding and such. Let's go to Optic. Yeah, got the jersey, got the hoodie, got a bunch of t-shirts, got hats. And Optic Gaming. Let's uh let's go to their let's go to their official page. Alright, it's it's on Envy's website, but oh, that's weird. The the Envy shop leads to the the Dallas Fuel page. That's actually kind of weird. Um let's see. Optic shop. Let's just see. Is it just, oh, here we go. Here it is. Okay. Yeah, I found it. Yeah, they, they have, they have an extensive storefront online. Paris does not. And unlike version one, NYXL, uh, formerly known as NBOX, uh, the guard, some of these other teams that have formed just from rich people buying into esports, they have branched out beyond the franchising into other games under slightly altered branding with the same color scheme. Paris hasn't. So I, I don't think moving to Vegas is going to do a damn thing for them. But as far as the games this weekend, uh, I have no freaking clue. Uh, most of these are bounty matches. 
which is interesting. Uh, Paris, Paris doesn't deserve to win theirs because they wouldn't spend the 10K anyway. But some of these, the last bounty matches actually made sense because they were all rivalry matches. None of these make a lick of sense. Paris and Minnesota, not a rivalry. Seattle and Atlanta, kind of a rivalry because Seattle just keeps kicking FaZe's ass on land. Uh, LAG in London, not a rivalry. Uh, Optic and Toronto, not a rivalry. And there was a bounty match uh, back in week... There there were week one bounty matches. Um, Yeah, New York and Florida, not a rivalry. LA Thieves in Boston, not a rivalry. Like the, the major three bounty matches made so much more sense because they were you know, rivalry matches. They're not marked on the website anymore, but I remember them being rivalry matches. In Major 4, they're not. But that's what I got for the Call of Duty League. Up next, I know it's weird, but we got college sports to talk about in the middle of July. It's coming up next here on the mashup. All right. Welcome back to the mashup. And I did not expect to be talking about college sports a couple days after 4th of July, but here we are last week. It came out that UCLA and USC would be leaving their longtime conference home of the Pac-12 of which I believe they were founding members. Let's see. I'm pretty sure they were founding members. I can almost guarantee they were. Let's see. Who who are the founding members? History. Pacific Coast Conference. Imperial Hotel. Let's see. The charter members were uh, UC Berkeley, Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State. Huh. They were not founding members. That is surprising. But the actual, the actual Pac-10. Okay, the Pacific 8 was probably uh yeah the pack 8 okay they joined they joined pretty early uh yeah Washington State University Stanford USC <laughs> Okay, so they joined the PCC. So they were, and they've been members of this conference uh, since the 1920s. USC has been a member of some iteration of this conference for 100 years. UCLA has been a member for 94. So they've been members for a very long time. And they are leaving to join the Big Ten. 
I know geography got thrown out the window in the membership makeup of college conferences a long time ago. Like the Atlantic coast conference now stretches several thousand miles inland. Cause let's just, uh, I, I just want to pull up Google maps. Like for a while it made sense. Cause like at first the ACC was adding schools from Florida and Massachusetts. And did they add? No, they didn't add New Jersey, but they were adding big East members from like they added the schools from Florida. They added Virginia tech who honestly should have been a member of the ACC from the very beginning because UVA like Virginia tech joining the ACC made sense. They're, they're cross state rivals with Virginia. Like they're in between Charlottesville and the North Carolina triangle anyway. But, but let's just see, let's just see like Louisville, Kentucky, probably several thousand miles inland. Louisville, Kentucky directions to the Atlantic ocean. Let's just pick somewhere on the Atlantic coast. Let's go with ocean city, Maryland, just because it is the first place I could think of that is in fact on the Atlantic ocean. Uh, I want, I want miles. Uh, let's see. Driving. That is 739 miles. And how about, um, I forgot. Notre Dame. Oh, South Bend. South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, Indiana to Ocean City, Maryland is also 749 miles. So, you know, close to a thousand miles inland. But now the big 10 who previously all of their member States were in fact touching like Maryland, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, they don't have a Missouri member, but they do have a Nebraska member. And that was as far west as they went. Now they're adding two schools in LA. The closest school to them is Nebraska, and that's still probably several thousand miles. Let's just see. UCLA to Nebraska. How, how many miles is that? UCLA, Los Angeles, California. Directions from there to University of Nebraska in Lincoln. University of Nebraska, Lincoln. That is almost 1,600 miles, depending on which way you go. Depending on which way you go, it is over 1,600 miles. 
So these guys are joining the Big Ten. And it's already been confirmed. Like, it leaked, and then it was confirmed by the schools themselves and several members of their coaching staffs. Across sports. Like, I know this is a football decision, and football doesn't really give a crap. Like, they kind of travel wherever anyway. And their uh, and their games happen on weekends more often than not anyway. Except in the except in the Pac twelve because the Pac twelve has a shitty TV deal. But very rarely do their games take place during the week. Who I'm concerned for is the Olympic sports, like the freaking field hockey teams, or women's soccer, or. Either lacrosse team, men's or women's. Heck, men's soccer too, because men's soccer honestly doesn't make that much money. At a lot of the colleges I've seen, the men's soccer games are free admission. Like, how how weird is it going to be for, say, I don't know, the Maryland women's soccer team? To hop on a plane from, I would assume, BWI or Dulles. Nah, Dulles is too far. From Reagan, honestly. It's right there. From either BWI or Reagan International Airport, whichever one. Hop on that Maryland flag Southwest plane that is usually reserved for the football and basketball teams. But since it's a cross-country flight, they need to do a little bit more. Hop on that plane on a Tuesday afternoon. To fly to L.A., play a game, play a game at 5 o'clock L.A. time, jump on a plane, fly back, you know, leave leave Los Angeles at like 7 o'clock L.A. time and land at either BWI or Reagan International Airport. It's about a five-hour flight already, so that would be three in the morning Eastern time, and then have to go to class on Thursday? That sounds awful. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to school the morning after playing a game 45 minutes away. And that was when I was in high school when I was still much more motivated to go every day. Imagine what college students are going to do when you make them fly across the country and then come back a day later. Like, that sounds awful. And then, that game was against UCLA. Now, USC is coming to town and doing the same thing Like, time zones won't screw them as much because, you know, you gain hours back when you fly the other way. Like, if they left... If they left BWI at 7, they would land in California at 9. Jet lag would mess you up, but still. Like, five hours would have passed, but depending on the time of year, you might still have some sunlight when you land. Like, depending on how early in the season that game happens to be, 
You, you might have some sunlight when you land. Like, this one, this one makes no freaking sense. Uh, the Alliance is dead. Remember that thing? The, uh, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 banding together to form, like, a, a scheduling group? Well, um, just, uh, for, for not, for wrestling fans, you will understand this reference. For non-wrestling fans, go look it up. Um, j- just go look up the shield betrayal. And, um, the, and, um. For those who don't know, for those whose name this would mean nothing to, um, Seth Rollins. He's the white guy. Pretty sure he's still got a blonde streak in his hair at this point. White guy, long stringy dark hair. You'd have a he'd have a blonde streak in it. Um He is the Big Ten. The big Samoan dude in the middle, Roman Reigns, is the Pac-12. And the kind of red-haired guy. Uh, Dean Ambrose, the third member of the team, uh, he's the ACC. And then uh, the two bald guys outside the ring. Uh, the one in the suit is the NCAA, and the the shirtless guy with the the full the full sleeve tattoos is the SEC. Um, yeah. So so non wrestling fans, just go look up the Shield betrayal. On uh, on YouTube, you'll you'll find plenty of videos of it. It's a it's a pretty big deal. In uh, when did that happen? Twenty fourteen wrestling. It, it was a seminal moment, and uh, for the wrestling fans, the Big Ten is Seth, Roman's the Pac twelve, Dean is the ACC, Trips is the NCAA, and Randy is the SEC. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes a little too much sense. I can't take full credit for that one. Uh, Got to give a shout out to my friend Denton for posting the original meme of Seth hitting Roman in the back as the end of the alliance. But I created the... Uh, and that led me down the road to creating the Randy... Randy is the SEC, Trips is the NCAA meme that I then replied to that tweet with. This segment has been kind of rambly, but also like it's the middle of the summer and I just didn't expect news like this to drop in the middle of July. Like, we're a couple of weeks out from the MLB All-Star game. This is... This is not the time of year that news should happen. And because it happened in the middle of July, that is effective next year. UCLA and USC are only going to play one more year in the Pac-12. And and all the uh all, all the all the Big 10 fans just like rally, rallying around uh Oklahoma saying they will get revenge on Lincoln Riley for them. And Oklahoma fans saying, yeah, you go do that. Like, he fled to the Pac-12 to get easier competition. Now he's going to have to play in the freaking Big Ten. Like, oh, he's going to have to play Ohio State and Michigan every year. That sounds like fun. But the one good thing that could come from this is it could teach Ohio State and Michigan 
that it is okay to both wear your home jerseys during rivalry games when your colors contrast that much. Because UCLA and USC do it every year, and it is beautiful to look at on TV. Michigan and Ohio State need to do that because their jerseys are even better than USC-UCLA. Because it's a better version of red and blue because it's actual red, not maroon. And the blue is darker. So it clashes better with a lighter red than a lighter blue does against the darker red. I mean, that's just my personal color aesthetics. Because uh, I like lighter blue versus darker or lighter red versus darker blue rivalries because I was in one for seven years. And then and then I went to a school that uh, combined lighter red with darker blue into their color scheme. So I'm much more drawn to that version of red and blue than borderline maroon and light blue. I, I much prefer like fire truck red and navy blue but that that's just personal preference but still usc and ucla could teach ohio state and michigan that and it would be wonderful and honestly tell that to maryland and penn state too as long as i mean maryland has so many jerseys but have maryland wear their red with the uh with the maryland flag because of course against penn state's blue and it's like really loud design versus really understated design too. Like that'd be Maryland football sucks. And Penn state is rapidly falling behind Ohio state and Michigan. But you know, that would be cool to see on TV. But what do you guys think? Where, where is this headed? Is it just going to be the big 10 and the sec and then everyone else? Cause that sure feels like where it's going to go and then everyone's just going to decentralize again because travel ends up being way too much of a nightmare and we go right back to where we were. Like it, I guarantee that happens because everything gets too bloated and they're going to, they're going to separate again. I don't know how they're going to separate again. It might lead to all new conferences being formed or it could lead to old friends coming back together and forming new conferences. Like, I wouldn't be upset with Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Penn State, uh, West Virginia. We'll throw Rutgers in there. And the Carolina schools coming together to form like a new ACC. I, and actually, no. Take Rutgers out because screw Rutgers, Liberty. Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Liberty, the North Carolina three, Penn State, Pitt, and West Virginia. That's 10 teams. That'd be an awesome conference. Heck, when NCAA football 23 comes out, I'm making that conference. I'm going to make that conference. I don't freaking care. It's incredibly top heavy. Actually, no, it's not top heavy at all. It's a little too balanced. But that'd be a fun conference because all those schools would freaking hate each other very quickly. Because you are dealing with four states that touch each other. One of them very small. So the travel distance between all those schools is not that big. Yeah, now I'm speculating. And uh, basically just fantasy booking college football. So uh, that's going to be the end of that. What do you guys think about uh, UCLA and USC leaving their conference home? And 
Can we talk about how this is not a cultural fit at all? California, two California schools, not just California schools, LA schools playing University of Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio State. I mean, the big one is Iowa. The big one is absolutely Iowa. It's like Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Like, could you imagine UCLA going to a late season game at Camp Randall? And they come out there with two fullbacks and three tight ends and no wide receivers. What would UCLA do against that? You know how many times I've seen this squinting meme with jokes just like that? This is not a cultural fit at all. And it's going to be hilarious, if nothing else. But that's what I got for college football. Up next, Paramount Plus actually has a good show with a video game connection. We'll, uh, We'll talk about what I thought of the first... I think it was six episodes of Players. That's up next here on the mashup. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about Players. I did I didn't know what to think going into this show because I was concerned. I was like, okay, it's a mockumentary following a fake LCS team that doesn't take the place of anyone. It just bumped the LCS up to eleven members, which is hilarious to think about. Because every other franchise domestic league has always been 10. The LCS has always been 10. The LEC has always been 10. I think the L- I think the LPL and the LC- the LPL is more. But the LCK, I'm pretty sure, is also 10. At least now, in, a, in its current form. The LCK has always been weird. But at least the English-speaking leagues, the, L- the two former LCS brothers... Europe has since rebranded and all that, but they were they were the EU LCS for a while. Now they're the LEC, now they're separate, now they're their own thing. But that's that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about players. Now when I heard this show announced, I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch that. Because I hadn't finished Halo yet. And then I finished Halo. And uh, I lost a lot of faith in Paramount Plus. But when it came out, I was like, all right, I still want to give this show a chance because it's obviously completely different from Halo. It's a mockumentary. And I started watching. I was like, wait, this is Last Dance. This is this is eSports Last Dance. I was like, okay, this is intriguing. These characters are interesting to me. Like cream cheese, which is a is a hilarious name, and his old name's even funnier, Nut Milk. And he claims there was nothing perverted about that, even though the league made him change it, which I think is really funny because that absolutely sounds like something like an early days LCS player would have happened to him. He'd have kind of a double entendre gamer tag, and then Riot would make him change it to something else. Like, I don't know how they let balls through. Like, that was a real name for a real player that went to Worlds. But you have this guy, Cream Cheese. In six episodes, I have heard them call him Trevor three times. Which is hilarious. Like, they call him Cream or Cream Cheese. I have heard them call him Trevor three times. 
And I think he's only called himself Trevor once. And now he's called himself Trevor twice and other people have called him Trevor like a grand total of three times. Everyone else, every other time they call him cream or cream cheese. And he's part of the, he's part of this fake team that came together as just a bunch of friends and they work their way into the LCS. And much like last dance, it is ping ponging between the 2021 LCS season and, and then progressing their, their back history to give you context for what's happening and what is said in 2021 straight up the last dance format. If you watch the last dance format, if you watch the last dance, you, you know, this, this storytelling style, it's actually not a bad one for documentaries. Like, like if it's not a bad one for doing like following a team, following a single team style documentary, like, then you're following their current season and then to bounce back to older stuff and talk about that. Like it's actually a really good format. And the entire time I'm watching the first couple episodes, cause Paramount dropped the first couple in a big batch. I was like, why is this good? And then I looked it up on IMDb and it's from the American Vandal guys. Uh, I'm blanking on their names. I know Tony Ascend is one of them, and he was the, I believe, the director of American Vandal. Yeah, Dan Peralt and Tony Ascend. They are they are the two uh, creators of this show. What are what are they actually credited as on uh, on IMDb? Are they are they just credited as creators? Okay, series directed by Tony Ascenda. And Dan Peralt has a creator and writer credit. Okay, so yeah, it's the two... It's the two American Vandal guys who uh, made two very good mockumentaries because each season is is its own self-contained story. Yeah, they were... They were they're also credited as creators on IMDb for... Uh, for American Vandal. So that tracks like that. That makes sense. And that's why it's good because it's from the American Vandal guys. And either they actually know what they're talking about or they did a metric ass load of research because like the way they portray, especially like when you ping pong back, to like the 2015, 2016 part of the story. That's very real. Like that is, that is very much like what early LCS teams were doing. That That's part of the LCS history. Even if Riot kind of wants to bury that and be seen as a more legitimate sport now. And, and them getting bought by, by a guy with NBA connections who didn't actually care and kind of treats it like a joke. He's not a real person, but it's, uh, it's connection. He's like, he's the fictional president of the Sacramento Kings, which is hilarious because the Kings ownership group are in fact in esports, but it's NRG. 
Like, they actually have a good team. The Kings are terrible. But NRG is at least decent. I know I know Hex dropped him like a hot potato and, and went to Envy, but still, like, they were... They learned things from Hex being a part of that org. But that guy, Nathan Resnick, he's the one guy who uh, who kind of treats esports like a joke and just sees it as a way to make money. And he like blows smoke up everyone's ass at uh, at like regular business conferences. And actually, he's very into it when he's when he's clearly not. Like when he's meeting with organisms parents in the first episode, he's he's repeatedly insulting the entire idea of least of esports. But he's very much treated the same way Last Dance treated Jerry Krause. Like not full on how Space Jam treated Jerry Krause, but definitely the way Last Dance treated him. Definitely the way Last Dance treated him. And like this is kind of a mini recap too. In uh, in one of the episodes, that uh, that ownership group, uh, Liberty Green, they fired Nathan Resnick because uh, the Kings were pretty ass, much like in real life, and they decided they wanted nothing to do with Fugitive anymore. They're trying to sell him off. And episode six was just them trying to find new owners and. Like there was an even more faceless, soulless corporate option. And the team was like was much more interested in this kind of eccentric venture capitalist who's actually like a diehard fugitive fan. Her name's Julie, but they just call her the 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 rich girl with dead parents. Cause her parents died in some freak accident and left their entire real estate investment portfolio to her. Like, they never call her by her name. They just call her the rich girl with dead parents. Like, not even just cream cheese. Like, Braxton, the coach, who is significantly more serious because the, the GM is his wife. But her and Cream definitely had, like, a spark when they met. So I'm interested to see where that goes. And... And as I record this, a new episode is coming out in about five and a half hours. So uh, I'm very excited to see that because I'm. But everything about this show, like. These guys who were part of like the founding of the LCS, they're they're getting a little bit older. But like in the grand scheme of things, they're not that old. I'm also trying to tell myself this because I am the same age as cream cheese. But like in the grand scheme of things, it sure feels like it to me right now. And it definitely feels like it's a cream cheese in the show. 27 is not that old. And when you're comparing yourself to, to organism, the 17 year old prodigy, like, yeah, that's a 10 year difference. But like, and I'm not even a pro player. But I like, I like definitely really relate to cream cheese, which is probably part of why I really like this show. I relate to cream cheese so hard. Like I, I really relate to this guy. Like I, I relate to him so much. It's insane. 
So shout out to Dan Peralt and Tony Ascenda for either knowing their stuff or realizing they didn't know their stuff and doing a metric ass load of research. Because let's be honest here. This probably replaced the Rick Fox sitcom. Because that was in the works at CBS. And then the whole Rick Fox thing hit the fan. And I think I think that show's just dead in the water. Same thing with the, the one at NBC from Chuck Lorre, which would have probably been even worse. Like, NBC might end up reviving that god-awful thing. But since Players exists and is mostly getting positive reviews, they will have to work harder to make it good. Because players, hopefully, hopefully we get another show like that. Hopefully it becomes kind of an anthology thing, like American Vandal was, where you're bouncing around to different games. Like have one that's League, have one that's have one that's Call of Duty. I don't know if you could make that work, but it seems like a possibility. Like have one that's League, or or it'd be harder to do this because it's a newer game, but have one that's Valorant. Have one that's Valorant, have one that's COD, have one that's Halo. Like, bounce around to other games and and tell similar-ish stories. I mean, don't just run back the same one of, like, the veteran and the young guy and them butting heads. Don't do that every season, but, like, there's other stories you could tell with an esports mockumentary. There really are. There's other stories you could tell. But overall, this show is, like, I know they're very different. One's like, one's, one's a fictional Last Dance parody about a fake league team. And the other one is an adaptation of a 21-year video game franchise that fell flat on its ass. Like, they're very different, but... If we're comparing Paramount shows with video game connections, this one's a whole lot better. So uh, if you haven't yet, uh, find a way to check this one out. Like, just get a Paramount trial and binge it because the season's almost over. Like, episode seven is going to be out when this comes out. And there's ten total. So, like, if you get a Paramount Plus trial, you could watch the entire thing. But that's what I got for players and what I thought of it. Up next, uh, there is some other stuff to talk about that I didn't feel the need to put in a full segment. One sports thing, one esports thing. We'll get into that up next here on the mashup. All right. Got some other stuff to talk about before we wrap up the show. And big news. I'm kind of glad I waited to record because this is absolutely worth talking about. Wednesday afternoon, Baker Mayfield is now a Carolina Panther. For a conditional 2024 fifth round pick. This guy was number one overall. Woof. Uh, he should have never played on that injured shoulder. That's that's for damn sure. 
Like that's that's a hundred percent guaranteed that he should have never played on that injured shoulder. Like, and I don't think anyone, not even Browns fans, would argue with that one. But now Baker Mayfield is a Cleveland Panther, and it seems like Deshaun Watson is not going to get a suspension at all. Uh, let's just let's just see. Oh, okay. So he's gonna. So they're still working on that. It still hasn't officially come down, which I don't know what's taking them so freaking long. But let's see. According to uh, according to ABC. Uh, Deshaun Watson's possible year-long NFL suspension following payouts over alleged sexual misconduct. I mean, we knew about that. Uh, let's see. Reached a settlement in 2020, in 20 of 24 of the lawsuits followed by women uh, who accused Watson of sexual assault and harassment while he played for the Texans. It was made clear during the hearing that the league is seeking an indefinite suspension of at least a year for the quarterback. So why the hell would you still trade Baker Mayfield? Like, I know you ruined your relationship with him by like openly courting other quarterbacks while he was still there and you hadn't traded him yet. I mean, that's why that probably why they had absolutely no leverage and can only get a conditional fifth round pick in two years for him. But, um, yeah, especially if Watson's suspended right now, the Browns are only two point favorites in that game. Um, I I think that line's going to move over the next four months, four months. Yeah, no, two months. Good God. Football season is only two months away. I I think that line is going to move over the next two months because, uh, because first game of the season is exactly eight weeks away. If you're listening to this on the day it came out. Actually, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Eight weeks is September 1st. Nine weeks is September 8th. And that is the the Bills-Rams primetime game to uh, to kick off the season. And then the remaining first games are on are on Sunday, September 11th. It sucks that the first Sunday of the NFL season falls on September 11th so often. Like, that is just, like, the worst timing. Like, it's kind of poetic. But it feels weird that, that the first game, the first batch of games of the season outside that Thursday night game for the Super Bowl champion and one other team is on September 11th. Like that feels wrong. And even then you get a Monday night game that week, every year. So like, there's a very real chance the first game of the season is going to fall on September 11th, at least occasionally. Cause there's three different days when games are played. So like one of the first three, (laughs) 
days of games could very well end up falling on September 11th. And 2022 is one of those years. But yeah, um, that game that when I saw the schedule, I was like, oh, that game's probably going to suck because it's too, it's too meh teams. I feel like the Browns might actually be pretty bad this year if Watson's suspended for the full year. And Baker's not the same as he was before the shoulder injury. Especially since it's to his throwing shoulder. Like, that game is now must-watch just because it's probably going to end up being the Baker Mayfield revenge game and it'll be the Panthers' best game of the season. Because, sure, like, they have a halfway decent quarterback now, but that front office is a mess. So is the coaching staff. Like, they're not going to be a very good team this year, so that more than likely week one win over the Browns playing their backup is uh, is probably going to be their best game of the season. J- just putting that out there. I know their division kind of sucks, but yeah, you know, let's just look at their schedule. Actually, they got a decent first three weeks. Browns, Giants, Saints. If Baker's playing well, they could be 3-0 at the end of September. And then... And then they have to play the NFC West three games in a row. Cardinals, Niners, Rams. They will very quickly be 3-3 three and three right before Halloween. And then the Bucks And the Falcons. Uh, they will probably win one game for the entire month of October. And then Bengals, Falcons, Ravens, Broncos. They, they might go 2-2 two and two in November. Uh, they'll lose probably most. Actually, they'll probably do okay in December. And they'll go one and one in January. Yeah, that's, I'm predicting the Panthers entire season now. Just because I brought it up. And yeah, looking at their schedule, that week one win over the Browns will probably be their best game of the entire season. Unless they pull off a miracle and beat one of the good teams they play. I hope to God it's not the Ravens. But uh, yeah, that's that game is going to be interesting now. I had no interest in it before. Now it's going to be like like the Ravens are playing at the same time, so my focus will mostly be on them. But I'm still going to be keeping my eye on that game because Baker's probably going to go off and then he's going to drop off for the rest of the season. And one other thing also happened... This technically happened on Tuesday, but it happened late on Tuesday. Uh, Kansas City Pioneers found out they will not be getting partnered by the HCS when um, they clearly deserve it because that's the thing. Outside of, outside of like the big four, Optics, Sentinels, Cloud9, and Phase. The other partnered teams are pretty mid at best. Because, like, those are your big four. They're all good. Really, it's your top three. Optic, Cloud9, and Sentinels are all really good. Phase is pretty good. G2 and E-United are good. G2 and Fnatic are meh. 
Navi is ass. Like that that's my that's my tier list of the uh, of the partner teams. Like at Kansas City at Kansas City, Kansas City Pioneers finished 5th 6th. That is ahead of That is ahead of who did the who did they finish ahead of? Um Yeah, that is ahead of the best European team of all time and one of the best European teams of all time. And they are only the only non-partner team to crack the top six. Why did they not get partnered? They're doing so much more for this scene than anyone else is right now. And I know like, I know like luminosity and complexity are probably going to get it. Like, It'll probably be luminosity, complexity, and ascend. That that's just what it feels like to me. And I know luminosity and complexity are bigger orgs. Luminosity is a historic Halo org, and has the connections to Ninja, and the current connections to XQC. Like they're a tier one org. I get it. But did you see the crowd for Kansas City Pioneers? I know it was their home event. But I f- that seems like a fan base that's going to travel well. Like, they will probably have a decent amount of fans at both Orlando and Worlds. How, how much longer do we have until Orlando? It's the it's September 23rd. It's not that far off. It's, b- it's about two and a half months. We got about two and a half months until Orlando. So that's going to be... Uh, that's going to be interesting. Oh yeah, I forgot about Space Station. And Space Station are just endlessly forgettable. Like, they're not bad, they're not good, they're just forgettable. Yeah, that's... I don't know why KCP didn't get it. They busted their ass to promote the Kansas City Major. I think they did a really good job. They had an incredible fan base there. They had a really good performance. They finished... The highest out of any not, they finished higher than three of the eight partnered teams. And they were the highest non-partnered team in placement. Heck, they finished technically tied with FaZe. They finished tied with a partnered team and ahead of three of the others who didn't even place in the top eight. So yeah, like, let's just look at some of these other teams. Uh, Navi completely bombed out. They went 0-4 in their group. SSG didn't do much better. They went 1-3. And uh, Fnatic, Fnatic was average. They were 2-2, two two, but they were in a good group. Yeah, in a group with decent teams, Pioneers finished second. Finished three and one. Their only loss was the Sentinels. Because, you know, Sentinels won the thing. Of course, they went four and oh in that group. KCP should have gotten partnered. I know my prediction now. It's Ascend because they've also freaking earned it. Because, you know, best European team of all time. And the Euro scene needs some help. Especially because 
Navi is again absolute ass. And then luminosity and complexity. They're they're the other two that got it, guaranteed. Because complexity has connections to the cowboys. And Tim the Tatman. And Cloaksy. And Luminosity has historic connections to Ninja and a few other good players and Excuse. Like, it's going to be the two of them as far as North American orgs go. And then Ascend is going to get the third one. It sucks. But hopefully someone at 343 and the HCS realizes the incredibly stupid mistake they made and partners KCP as soon as possible. Like, middle of next year freaking partner casey pay but that's what i got for this episode hope you all enjoyed hope you all enjoy the rest of your week and i will talk to you guys uh hopefully next wednesday see you then